uh, some of the things that I'm used to. I, like I said, it's going to challenge me. What I mean is, is they'll be dry if you're not interested in those kinds of things. But here's what's, here's what's, here's what's really um, probably um, steering me towards that. Um, some of you know that I'm, I am teaching a class at, um, at Cornerstone, just teaching for um, their Bibles uh, in the morning um, uh, for um, each morning. And uh, one of the, the things that I talked with the administrator about was about, about um, apologetics, which is basically defending your faith. And uh, so I've been getting into that, and what I chose to, 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 to teach on is about this evolution versus creation controversy. And to be honest with you now, this is just my own telling you. I mean, I, I know what I believe. Um, when I dove into this, um, I never realized how big it is. And what my studies and, and my, my, my research and everything else has, and I'm not, not, even, I'm not even close to being an expert on it, man. I'm just, I'm telling you, you get, want to get into the weeds, and I'll tell you what, it'll drown you. <laughs> um, but I do know this. Um, what I found is, is that this whole evolutionary evolution controversy has really taken our nation by storm. And, and what I found is evidence within, within our world today that has really, right now our schools and our, our whole government, and, and I'm not trying to create conspiracy theories, but what I am saying is, is that we have no regard. If you've noticed, when, when, when any of you guys, how many remember when you were, how many of you guys ever remember reading the Bible in school? Yeah, more, more than half of us. How many of you remember even having Bibles in the school? I don't remember reading them, but I do remember having them there in the library. Um, and, and the thing of it is, what we've done is we've pushed towards this agenda. And it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 really, it's really become, it's really gotten on my heart. Because that agenda is of saying basically there is no God, and when those things are not important and everything else has led us towards, well, then we can do whatever we want to do. And so then there is no standard for morality. There is no standard for a lot of different things in our world. And that struck me as I start looking at all the things that we see as evidence of how that's really affected us as a culture and it's affected us as, as even churches. Because to be honest with you, here's, here's what I read. Here's what I've been reading. Most churches don't want to even touch this because they know that they have people that are sitting in their pews that are not sure or are the opposite or are or are somewhere in between both are true kind of thing and um, they don't want to make any waves they don't want to touch that and they don't want to come back to which, which I think is, is the value of why I'm doing this is that what does God's Word say what what can be said about that truth and so I I really want to focus on this I want to really Uplift. We want to uplift the, the, the word of God and, and, up, and, and, and really want to do that. So I, I would ask for your prayers in that because it is a challenge for me because I'm not an expert in that. I'm not a, I'm not a scientist, but boy, I, I think I have a brain. And, uh, and a lot of this stuff does not, when I look at some of the things that are being said out there, it just does not make sense. I'm talking about evolution. And it's not just that. That's not what I'm going to focus on, is just evolution versus creation. I want to talk about, I want to talk about 
the reason why we, I want to talk about our Bibles, and I want to talk about some of those things. So we're, we're, I'm looking at a series, and as I develop that, I've been looking at and developing this for quite a long time. And, and I want to kind of, so I'm not sure if it's going to be this next week or the following week that I want to start that. But uh, I, was, I was looking at that, I was thinking about, I, want, I chose a passage today that I think is really important, and it really focuses on the theme I think that you've seen us be talking about throughout this um, this uh, service already and singing about it and everything else, and that is that we have such incredible ba value. We are valuable to Him, and we, we have a purpose for, um, for wanting to come and to worship our most almighty God. Um, and I, I, I just want to tell you that today that I think that God, what He has done, what He has done for us is that He has created and is creating and is recreating in us masterpieces. Um, that's really what he is, uh, specializes in. I, I don't know a lot about art. I don't know a lot about those kinds of things. I, I do, one of the, I, you know, I love good music. And you think about some of the words that, of the songs that we're singing. I, I guess I missed it. There was one that um, I was going to mention that one of the songs that we were singing some of the words. But I, I love the way that that an artist or, well, speaking of music, that they can get creative with some of this stuff. I, I can't write, I suppose, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could or not. I, I have some musical talent in terms of singing and things like that, but, but the poetry and the way that they take things from God's Word and just make that just not only appeal to our minds, but, but our hearts and everything else, I, I just think that is such an incredible gift that some people have. I was thinking about this, this song, um, that uh, that we sang today, and this one here, I am to worship. Um, can I read those words to you? Sure. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see beauty that made my heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Mm -hmm. uh, so here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God, and all together, you're altogether lovely and worthy and wonderful to me. King of all days, host so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above, humbly you came to this earth, you created all for love's sake before became poor. I mean, that's, that's really just the gospel message. And it's, it's, it's created and it's, it's appealing to our, to our minds because there's theology in that song. It's, it's, it's just right there, it, the purpose for why Jesus came. It's, it's set to a tune that, that causes us to, to think about that a little bit, I think. I've got to be honest with you. When I hear that song, I think of Amanda. Amanda was a sixth grade girl when we were first, when I first started out in ministry, and I went to camp, and we went to a sixth and seventh grade camp. And Amanda was this little chubby girl in our group. We had probably about 15, 16 kids in our group, and Amanda was homesick. Amanda wanted to go home. Amanda didn't want to be there. And she cried, and she cried, and she made it miserable for everybody in her cabin. And she came to us, and we sat down with her, and we counseled with her, and both Susan and I, and the, the whole staff, I mean, she made the whole camp miserable because she didn't want to be there. She missed her mama. She missed everything else. And it was just a miserable week. I should say a miserable Sunday and Monday for her. And we, 
basically had said, you know, Amanda, let's just do this. Why don't you just try to have a really, really wonderful day today, the rest of this day? And we'll talk a little bit more about this tomorrow. By Tuesday morning, Amanda was loving it. And I will never forget her sitting, I just, man, the, the thought of this just, it, it makes, almost draws tears to my eyes. But Amanda sat there in worship, and this was one of the songs that came out that year, with tears flowing down her eyes and just singing up to God, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. And what that means is, and I, I look at these, and these are great words, and these are everything else, but I'm, I'm looking at somebody who actually took that, those words in, in the art form that they were created in, took that from their brain and put it into their heart and said, God, you are my everything. In the mouth of a sixth grade girl, it has forever changed my perspective of things, uh, especially that song. Um, Music is one form of that. I, I don't really know a lot about um, other kinds of art. I, I, I like things that, in terms of art that's on the, I love what our, you know, our ladies have done with some of these banners that we have. That, um, that's certainly an art. Um, but I, I want us to focus on that word masterpiece. That's really what I want us to focus on. Let me give you a definition of masterpiece. I, I really needed something to really try to get my head and my hands and, and all around and, and, and somehow to come to this. But a masterpiece is really defined in, in this way. Well, at least by this particular person, this is what masterpiece means. He says that the, you can show a couple of these other screens so that you get an idea of some masterpieces. Art may not appeal to everyone, but these are expensive. I think this one here is by Monet, and you can go back and forth with those. That's Monet, and this is uh, Rembrandt. Um, but I, anyway, those are what I would consider some masterpieces. There's some other ones that um, I was talking to. I was asking Susan about this last night, and she says, well, what about the finger of God? Right. You know, we didn't want to show that one, but that's on the Sistine Chapel and all that stuff. But there's some things that there's some really... Some of it is just, it's just, it's hard to describe. Well, let me just give you this definition. This is, a, this is as this guy says. He, this guy says that artists all walked on rice paper but left no footprints. I love that image anyway of how an artist can come into play and, and paint and write and do whatever, they, whatever it is that they, they do in such a way that they're, I guess, kind of out of the way. But this guy goes, and here's what he says. He goes on to say this. In all these things, or in all, the, all of these works, speaking of those masterpieces of that art, there's, there's a mystery, a subtlety, a magnetic attraction. The technique is so skillful, so masterful, so seamless, it's unnoticeable. Like a great actor who makes the audience forget he, is, he or she is acting, so a great painter does similar things for the imagination. I like that part. Um, good artists are those that leave something to the imagination. Um, can I maybe just make it a little science? I, I was thinking about some of uh, some musicians again, um, but I want to come back to painting. But I just I just got this thought. 
You know those songs that make you think and make you make you kind of um, they really draw you in and, and, and that. We had bands and bands or or, or groups uh, who who play music. Um, who I think sometimes there's some bands that you know that they put heart and soul into it, and you know that there's some bands that are out there that are just making music in order to sell a album. Do you know what I'm talking about? I called them show bands versus real bands. Um, and I think of that in terms of art as well. Um, good artists are those who leave something to the imagination. I'm allowed to be drawn into that painting. I'm allowed to be drawn into whatever it is. I'll, uh, we may not interpret things the same way. I'm not sure that I always get out of it whatever it is that the artist puts into it, but I just love the fact that some things, that they just engage me, and, and I think that that's what masterpieces do. I mean, they engage you at a level that's different than, you know, well, than something that I would draw. You haven't seen my drawings. And I think that that really is the wonder of what God has done in us. I think that that's what's so unique about the human creation is that, that we are divinely made with, with, this, uh, with an element of mystery that allows us to, to just imagine what it is that God really might be doing in us. That there's something that, there, there's something that really sets us apart, and, 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 and yet there's enough there that allows us just to dream about what it is that God might have in mind and might want to do and where we might ultimately end up in this process if we were just somehow willing to give God of ourselves and to let him have his way, to let God, the master painter, have his way with us. Now, I want us to think about this whole idea of masterpieces, that we have been created, these, these wonderful, masterful masterpieces of God. And I want to come back to the very beginning, because I, I, it just seems to me that, that one of the things that we need to understand about ourselves is is this, we need to understand our origin. So I want us to look at Genesis chapter 1 this morning. Genesis chapter 1, I just, uh, well, we're going to be in a couple of different verses here, so if you want to open your Bibles to that, um, Genesis chapter 1, we're going to flip through a couple of pages here, but Genesis chapter 1, just want to remind you of some things that you've heard a lot of. You've heard these a lot. This is not new information. You've heard this before, but I just want to lay this foundation one more time in Genesis chapter 1, and I want to read for you just a handful of verses, starting there at least, in Genesis 1. And first, the first ones that I'll look at is Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Or if I come over to, let's say, chapter 2 and verse 7, look at that one. It says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being, yes. 
Or, or later on in the second chapter, if you go halfway through verse number 20, uh, moving into verse number 21, it says, for, for Adam, no suitable helper was made for Adam. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man, and the man said, Whoa, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. man. We have been made in God's image. We think about that much? Every single one of us, not, not some of us, but all of us, have, we have been created in the image of God Himself. <laughs> and even after we messed it all up, even after we caused things to be so disrupted that God had to do something to try to redeem us, He is still talking about that, that same kind of workmanship. When, when, you, when you come over to the second chapter of Ephesians, where, where he summarizes his activity of redemption, in, in, in verse number 10 of, of Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says this, and, and some of you maybe have even memorized this verse, but we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are His workmanship. Some translations say that we are His masterpiece. Some say we're His handiwork. He, for crying out loud, He hasn't stopped using us. He is still in the process of putting His stamp on us and creating us, creating in us what He wants us to be creating in us what he wants as our masterpiece. And, and, and I, I, I mean, I don't want you to misunderstand, and, and I surely don't want you to get a big head over this, right? But I think that we all need to know this. This is the bottom line, fundamental truth that you and I are absolutely remarkable. You're incredible. As a work of God's creation, the human being is one, of the, one, of, one about whom God said when He didn't say it about anything else, this is very good. Uh, it's just amazing to me when you look at the human, how absolutely remarkable we are. I mean, just think about some things here about human, just think about human touch. Do you know how sensitive your hands can be to touch? I mean, just, just, just think about some of the things that you have touched regularly in your life and you know, that, that as soon as you touch them, that if you recognize it, I mean, you, you just know. Maybe you can just, you, you share. What, what are some things that you can touch that you just know? Okay. You touch something, you know. How about materials of things? Could you, could you touch this chair and know what you're touching? Feel the chair in front of you. What are you touching? Close your eyes. Feel that chair. What are you touching? Of course, you know because you look. But you know, you can tell, can you tell the difference between that and say, let's say, touching steel? Can, can you know, if somebody puts a pair of scissors in your hand, would you know that that's what that was? How do you know that? Think about if you put, if you, if you were to hold on to this, what does this feel like? How can I know the difference between this when I touch this and whether or not that's steel or wood? How do you know? We have the ability to do that. 
when I touch this, I know that that, that doesn't feel like wood. How do we know that? It's just the, the incredible, uh, how incredible touch is. Um, I, I, I did some, some looking at this just out of curiosity. Did you know that among the least sensitive places on the body, among the least sensitive places on the bottom is the bottom of your foot. You're all like, kind of look like, huh? That doesn't make sense. Um, I mean, well, it makes sense because you have to walk on it, I guess. You want, you want those bottom of your feet to be a little, right? You want, <laughs> okay, so, um, but anyway, but you know, you, you just can't sense absolutely everything. So it takes 200, here's what, 250 milligrams of pressure before the bottom of your foot senses that there is something there. Okay, <laughs> but that's exactly, you know, I'm just thinking that, okay. But see, 250 milligrams, what is that? So, I mean, it, it must be more than that because I, you know, I feel the bottom of my feet when I'm walking. So, well, anyway, I got to look, and it takes 28,000 milligrams to create one ounce of pressure. Your foot responds to one one-hundredth of an ounce of pressure. That's why a pebble in your shoe hurts so bad. On the other hand, the back of your hand... The foot takes 250 milligrams of pressure. The back of your hand requires 12. Your fingertips, these things that we do things with, three milligrams of pressure is all it takes. You can feel a groove, 125, I have, I have to look at this because it's 125 thousandths of an inch in depth. I haven't, I haven't measured that. I haven't looked at that, but... You know, you take this piece of paper here, and I mean, you reckon, you can feel that. Uh, how that's why I say the foot is is one of the least sensitive places, but it's sensitive. Um, but, but, oh, that's a good example of it. You know, people who are using even Braille and things like that, they can recognize and they can feel that. Right. It would take you some time, but that's a good example of that. But. It, to me, I mean, it's just, just to point out that isn't that just, it's just, just so remarkable that you can stand next to something and you can start drumming your fingernails on it and you'll know whether or not it's steel or wood or paper. And, but you and I have this ability with just, with just your hand to know when you reach down, when you take something. We know whether or not that's a, a you know, a, it's a tomato or it's a piece of steel or, it's a, or how much pressure to put on it without hurting. I mean, think about this. You, you know when you're, when you're going to shake somebody's hands, instantly you know when you, when you do that that this is the grip of a carpenter versus somebody who is an elderly person with worn out fingers. You know that and you know how to respond. But the point is, is that you and I are just absolutely remarkable. And the doctors and the nurses and the physiologists and, and, and the people who understand our whole, this whole system of ours, they could walk you through through uh, all the, you know, talking about eyes and ears and nose and, 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 and cells of, and skin and, and just kind of magnify all this information just, uh, that just reminds us that we are absolutely in just incredible creatures that God made marvelously. I mean, you re recall the text, don't you? Psalm 139, 
verses 13 and 14. I, I, I just think this is remarkable. Listen to what God says. He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I read something this week in, in terms of just um, this, this whole evolution creation debate. They said, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth and, and then he created Adam and Eve and there was a total of two people on the planet and they were creationists. <laughs> They knew. <laughs> We're a little bit removed from that. But they recognize the, the, the thing, it, just this idea that God is this God who has uh, created, has, has such an, an incredible creation. We are absolutely incredible creatures. But I think there's much more than that. It's not just that we are incredible, remarkable in creation. I think that we are inherently valuable. If I had a, a fear about our, our culture, American culture, and I, I probably have my, more than my fair share, one of the fears that I really struggle with the most is that we have lost a pers a, the, pers the perspective that humans have inherent value just for who they are. I think our culture has lost that, the way that, that our culture has treated uh, women, the, what, how, the way we've treated infants and babies, abortion, you know, um, the way we've treated inmates, the way we've treated, you just start going down through different things and you look at what our culture has done. The more that we become inclusive and more acceptive and the more, why is it getting worse? And that's where I think that the church can make a difference because we see and we recognize that, that we have inherent value. I think that we've lost that in our culture, that people have done that. Not, not, not for what they can do. See, that's what we focus on in our culture. It's, that's not what gives us our value. It's not for what we can produce. It's not, it's not for our, our inherent net worth, not for what, we've, what we're leaving behind, but just because we are that we exist. It's really an interesting passage of Scripture when you, when you get to the ninth chapter of Genesis. We've, we've really made a mess out of things. I mean, by chapter 3, we've, we've already got things all fouled up to the place that God's got. God's already, he's, he's already to start over. And by the time you get into chapter 6, we've had the flood and God started everything all over and we're still messing things up. And you get to chapter 9, verse number 6, and he says, Whoever sheds, sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Well, Why? In Genesis chapter 9, do you know why he instituted, why God instituted capital punishment? But listen to his reasoning. Because in the image of God, God created man. We have value because of who we are. We're made in God's image. It, it, it isn't about anything else. We have value just because we are. It, it, it doesn't make any difference if you're physically capable or not capable. It doesn't matter if you can produce something or, or not produce something. It doesn't matter whether you, can, whether, whether you have lots or whether you have little. It does not make any difference whatsoever. You have value just because of who you are 
And that message has to sink into American culture. It has to sink into our church because that's the story that God is trying to say to us. When he calls us his masterpieces, he's trying to remind us that our, our, our um, inherent value is not based upon something external. It is on the inside of us that makes us unique to him. We are made in his image. We're his in his image. Um, there's a painting that hangs in the Detroit Institute of Art um, that is valued, uh, well, last time I checked, it's, uh, it's valued at around $1.5 million. Um, I don't know that I want to have something like that in my living room. Um, the name of that painting is, it's actually an abstract painting. I forget the name of the lady that, that made this, but it's entitled The Bay. And uh, there was a few years back, this is actually uh, uh, probably about 10 years ago now, um, that the school brought this little, these little kids, um, this little 12-year-old uh, class, a group of 12-year-olds on a field trip. They brought them to the Detroit, Detroit Art Institute. They'd be, you remember hearing, anybody remember hearing about that? And uh, anyway, uh, one particular unnamed boy, 12-year-old boy, who decided that he didn't, uh, um, he got kind of tired of chewing his gum. <laughs> and so he stuck it in the lower left-hand corner of the, of the bay. <laughs> right? <laughs> you can see it, can't you? <laughs> so that's like kid Nate's age, a little bit younger, but... Um, he just thought, he, I don't know if he thought that was funny or what it was, but anyway, um, you would be maybe uh, glad to hear that he got expelled from school because he marred the painting. <laughs> $1.5 million. Now, the question I have about all this is, why would they have that painting wide open like that where somebody could put, why, would, why, wouldn't, they protect, why wouldn't it be behind glass and protect it? But that's beside the point. The kid actually... Uh, he put his little gum and smeared it into the corner, about, I guess about a quarter, a uh, big quarter size of it anyway. Um, and I think sometimes there's a lot of people, maybe you feel a little bit like that painting a little bit, you know, it's like somebody came along and stuck a piece of gum on, on your corner and marred your life. Um, for some reason you feel less valuable. You're not. You're not. But this text in First Peter I, uh, 1, I, I always... Uh, it, it's always been one that has really resonated in my heart. First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one, um, verse eighteen. May, maybe just just listen to this instead of. I mean, I'd love for you to to flip your pages because I like hearing those those pages flip. But maybe just listen to this this verse here. Um, I just think this is so such a cool verse. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Don't you love that verse? It was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that was handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 
See, God sees you as absolutely valuable because, just because of who you are. That it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter about the gum in the corner. It doesn't make any difference. Because inherent in your life is God's image. You, you're you, and, and you have value just because of who you are. And we are beautiful masterpieces of God. And we're marred, yes, we're marred. But it doesn't matter because, well, I'm not saying that sin doesn't matter. Don't, don't misunderstand me. It, it, it doesn't matter, though, that to God, He still loves us and He still cares for us. He still has created us. He still has, he still has given us value. It doesn't matter because He has redeemed us and He has power to change us. You see, I think as a church... I think as a body of believers, we have to come to grips with that truth if we're ever going to make sense of, of what we do around here. Why in the world would a church want to do the kinds of things that we do around here? I just think about last week and we had this big shoe thing. We had all those shoes and we had, you know, why, why, do, we, why, why do we do those kinds of things if it weren't for the fact that we just deeply appreciate people and we want to do something to help redeem the world in which they live? I mean, this really, it's, it's not about New Life having a nice name in town and, and as being the church that does some really cool stuff or some good stuff. If that happens as a byproduct, that's pretty cool. But, but, but this, isn't a, this, this isn't what that's about. This is about you and I appreciating the fact that, that we live in a world that is full of God's created masterpieces, many of whom have been hurt and have been marred, and yet they are still God's masterpieces. And, and they deserve for us to, to love them and, and to treat them as if they have inherent value, not because of what they can do for us, not because of what they can contribute to us, but just because they are. That, to me, is the heartbeat of what the church is about. That, to me, is the heartbeat of what, what New Life Christian Church should be about, is that, that we just love people because, well, how does the Bible say it? He loved us, or, or we love because He first loved us. That's an amazing reason. You see, God is in the process, I think, of redeeming His humanity and bringing us back to the place where we're just, that, that we're just like we were at creation before we messed the whole thing up. And He's calling for those of us who've been redeemed to understand that the people that we live with, the people that that we work with, the people that are across the street, the people on the other side of town, the people that we, they have inherent value, not for any other reason than just because they are. They're people. And we're called to love them and to value them as people created in the image of God, masterpieces of His work. And so we do. We try to appreciate the masterpiece that God has created in each of us. And we work at ministering to the needs of people because they're a part of God's masterpiece. And we, we try to reflect the masterpiece within us to the best of our ability, limited as it is. Because we want people to see God. We want people to see that God is capable of doing. We want them to see what God what God is capable of doing and, and tap into the imagination that, that might be possible for someone else too. 
And see, part of the problem is that you and I have been tempted to believe the lie. The world, I think, has tried to tell us that we don't have, you have value because we're not tar tall enough or we don't have value because we're not short enough or, or we're not big enough or we're not fast enough or we're not smart enough or we don't have enough of this or we don't have enough of that. But it's a lie. You are valuable for who you are just because you're you and there's no other re reason that's needed. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. They're lying to you if they don't come to you with this understanding that, that you have value because you are made in God's image. You're valuable just because of who you are. By the way, the lab worked on that painting in Detroit. They finally figured out what kind of a solvent to use to get the stain out that the gum left on the lower left-hand corner of that painting. It's been restored and now it's back on display. Well, this happened a long time ago, but, but I'm here to tell you that I know the solvent that you need to clean the corner of your painting. It runs red from across. Blood red. The blood of Jesus Christ is all that you and I need. That's it. He wants to clean you and me up. He wants to restore us into this marvelous, marvelous image again. And all you have to do is allow that to happen. See, it's that same blood, that same blood that brings us to this table each and every week. It's that same blood that reminds us of a hill far away where there stood an old rugged cross, an emblem of suffering and shame, where Jesus died on an old rugged cross for you and for me. It reminds us that we are masterpieces of his, so valuable that he was willing to send his son. Will you pray with me? Father, the reason why I think this is so valuable and so important is because well, for one, you've created us for a purpose. There is meaning and there's purpose in this life, and it's, it's valuable because you've put that, that inherent value into it. Um, but I think that it's, it's so important for us to, to recognize who we are in your sight because our world just seems to think that there's, there's just meaninglessness. It's all for nothing. They were here by accident. And God, I just, I bring myself to the cross. I bring myself to the place that you went. And I can't be help but think that there's value in the cross. Why would you go through all the trouble to go and to die for our sin if there's no purpose behind who we are? And so God, I just pray that today as we take of that cup, red that looks like blood, reminders to us of your blood on the cross. And as we eat of that bread, the reminder that your body hung there, that we would be reminded of how valuable, how truly valuable, and, 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 and the fact that we have inherent worth, that we would be reminded of that today. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart. Bless your name, bless your name, Jesus. And the deeds of the day and the truth in my way. Speak of you, speak of you, Jesus. This is why. 